1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. And I'm going to read that, and then we're going to talk. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Okay. We're going to get there in a second. Was there anything in there you guys found startlingly, amazingly, like I would have never connected that with Christianity? Was there anything in there, in these instructions for practical Christian living, that took you by surprise or you've never heard before? Probably not. Probably not. So, let's go back and do some big picture looking. Originally, you were, let's just say this is the holiness righteousness scale. You were originally created by God like this. Holy and righteous so that you could commune with God and have relationship with him with no sin in the way, nothing in the way. And, and, and I was created out here like this in the holiness righteousness scale. And God was alongside his creation and human beings and, and they were fellowshipping together. Everything was good. And then sin enters the world, and, and man is deceived, and he becomes broken, and his entire world becomes broken. And so then he's taken from this holiness, righteousness scale down to this, down to this. And that's where we're all born. We're all born with no righteousness. And so having a relationship with God is, is impossible because God requires this for relationship. And we're this. And we're without hope of ever gaining this again on our own. Ever. Ever. Not even this. In fact, it says in, in Titus, And God saved you, not by righteous acts of your own doing, in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Not of your own doing, but he sent his Holy Spirit. And it was by the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit that he saved you. Okay, so, so, so I'm, I'm here in, in the righteousness, holiness scale, and the first step is I have to have my death penalty removed. And so by the blood of Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross, he takes away the death penalty that belonged to me when I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Okay, so did that make me more righteous? From a positional standpoint, then we say, Bob likes this word, the imputing. We take and God imputes Christ's righteousness from a positional standpoint so that here I am, back out here on the holiness righteousness scale, even though I'm borrowing it. Did you know you were a borrower? How many of you borrow books from the library and don't take them back? That's a big problem. Okay, you're borrowing the righteousness of Jesus Christ right now. The, from a positional standpoint, as God looks down at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ clothing you like a big bathrobe. Position, or practically, I'm still like his. Even though the, 
the thing has been taken away. My death penalty has been taken away, and I have now, now this, I'm reconciled back to God. And so then he starts working it on the holiness, righteousness scale again. And he says, now, now here's the deal. I have, I have taken you out of the box that you were stuck in and given you the potential to start growing in righteousness and holiness. Now, is that because if you don't do that, I'm going to be really disappointed that I saved you in the first place and I'm going to boot you out of the family? No. No, he's like God loves us. He loves us enough to save us. He also loves us enough to fix us. So, so he says, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to put you on this righteousness pathway and I'm, I'm going to give you unlimited potential. Really. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you, which is God, and is, it has all power to do whatever I want and I am going to Start the process of making you more righteous and holy. Someday I'm going to finish it. The biggest problem we have is time. He, at some point, he is going to finish the job, and you are going to be back out here again. And, and, and we look at that, and it's, there's some time things involved. And, okay, either I die or Jesus returns, and I get my new glorified body and all my sin, sinfulness and sinful nature is taken away, and here I am back out here where I can once more have ultimate relationship with God. Okay, but right now, here we are. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're, you're outside the box where you were trapped in your sin, and you have this unlimited potential for God to start working in your life. Depending on whether you turn the switch on or not, you've already got the power. That's the Holy Spirit. And then and God says, okay, I'm going to give you my plan for reconciliation in the Bible. It's called the gospel message. We got it. Hopefully you heard it. His Holy Spirit came into your life. You accepted it. You became a child of God. You were moved from an object of wrath to an object of love, grace, and mercy. And you start the pathway, which we call sanctification, or, or trying to grow in maturity and righteousness and holiness. Okay. Paul, in his letters, talks about both of those things all the time. He gives us the gospel message in practically all of them. And then he starts giving you some theology and different things about how God works and who he is and how the plan of salvation works. But then he starts getting almost all of them into practical Christian living, which sounds to me like a bunch of rules. Now, we like that. We like that. Why do, why do you think we like that, Greg? That's right, and it puts us in control, doesn't it? Hey, look, I want some quantitative data that I can really hang on to and start judging how I'm doing, and in fact, most of the time, judging how you're doing. Is that why God gave us those things? Why, why, why did he give it? There's going to be seven points. We're going to look at them. Seven points. We're going to see seven areas. Now, so I lots of times tell you, don't focus on the rules. It's not about the rules. It's about God working in your life to make you more like him so you can get out here to the holiness, righteousness thing. Like, again, it's never going to happen totally here. But we focus on the rules because it's controllable by us. So then I can see, see, I can do this, God. I can do this. You saved me, but I can do this Christian thing, this Christian walk thing. So just give me enough rules, and I'll understand them, and then blah, we're going to work really hard. And we focus on moralism. We think the point of Christianity is just to live a more kind and moral and, and better life. That's a benefit of being a child of God, can be. But that's not the point. The point is to grow in holiness so you can have relationship with God. 
Okay, so here we have these points of evaluation. So here's what I want you to do. I think God gives us these, and he gives them to us over and over again in the Bible. If you were to read Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians, you're going to find nearly every single one of these things in there repeated again and again and again. Why is that? Because we're human. We forget. Right away we forget. So is God putting these rules in there over and over and over again just to harangue us and make us feel guilty and shame that we just, I can't do it all, God. What do you think? No, I don't think so. I think he's saying, look, here's are things that you constantly go wrong on. I'm going to bring them up so that you can evaluate yourself on a constant basis and say, here's an area in my life I need to give over to God. Here's an area in my life, God, where I'm falling short. Not to feel shame about it, but so that I can identify it and turn that thing over to your Holy Spirit so that you, God, can fix that in me and I can achieve more holiness so I can have a better and more pure relationship with you right now. So here we go. I'm going to ask you to say to yourself, to yourself, or you want to whisper to your neighbor, I, you know, I really stink at that one. You can. But let's look at them. And evaluate ourselves to say, is this an area of my life that God needs to own more than he does now? <sighs> I was going through this. I don't know. You, you saw that first part, right? I mean, the, so, so it's, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I think I told Dee Dee, we were just going to scrap the rest of it and just talk about that one the whole time. No, just kidding. Um, you know, it's like self-serving, right? Hey, you guys straighten up. I need some respect here. That's not what it's about. Um, you know, so what is it saying? Let's just take a look. So it says, respect your church leaders and esteem them with love. So we ask you, brothers, to respect, and actually that word is edo in the Greek, and it means to acknowledge or look upon or know. I'm not sure respect was really the greatest word there, but it basically it says we want you to come alongside and be with your leaders and, and know them, know them not just in an intellectual way, but, 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 a, but a deeper way, and <clears throat> who labor among you who become wearied by work in service of you. That's what that means in the Greek. Who, who, not just who work among you, but who, who are wearied by labor. Now, once again, I feel guilty. Having gone to conference and talked to village missionaries of how blessed I am to shepherd this group. You guys are an anomaly some of these guys and the stories, and Jeff hears some of them, and I've heard some of them, um, this isn't always the case. In fact, it's probably less the case than it is the other way. And so I know it's not always being done. And, and, and some of those stories, and I, I know you probably heard your dad, Lori, you know, tell stories from the, the field of different ways where he's been wounded and, and, and abused or, you know, treated unkindly or judged or whatever. And, and so this is God again saying, look, there's an old you that did things one way, and, and I am now allowing you to become the new you, so let's just chuck the beef broth and focus on the chicken. 
Respect those that are over you who preside over you in authority when it pertains to spiritual things and who admonish you, sometimes caution you, put you back into line, lead and correct you, and esteem them with love or give them their due consideration exceedingly well with agape love. Paul, Paul was talking to these people, and he knew that they had some issues. And in fact, he knew that some of their church leaders had to address these issues and rebuke some people. And so he's saying, look, how many... This is part of being a good leader. This is part of being a good parent. This is part of being a good shepherd. I, I don't like that part. How many of you uh, have ever had your child look at you and say, I hate you? It's not fun, is it? But why do you continue to discipline them when they need it? Because you love them. You love them and you know that sometimes correcting helps to you to achieve your goal with your child, which is to become, if you're a Christian, a good, responsible, mature, God-loving human being. It's not fun. Sometimes the shepherd has to use the crook. And oftentimes it isn't, it isn't received well, right? But, and Paul knows that. And, and so he knows that in our, in our old nature, it looks like this. Resist authority, reject correction, lash out when you're rebuked, seek your own way, rationalize the brokenness that you, you're involved with, put the blame on others, and judge others and judge those in leadership without real knowledge or wisdom. That's the old you. That's the old you. And we can find ourselves sneaking back into the beef broth because the cream of chicken way is this. Love them and respect them, not for their perfect implementation of their job, but for their faithful service to you in love. And recognize that oftentimes we all need correcting. Is there... Are there bad ways to do it? Yes. And does it mean that the, those in leadership are above reproach or, or never should be examined or never should be corrected or never should be evaluated? No, absolutely not. First of all, we know um, from Scripture that the standard that God places on those in leadership in positions of leadership in the church is higher. And when we mess up, God's going to hold us accountable. No question about it. And there are times when pastors have gone really wrong and need to be corrected. And if I go really wrong, I hope you love me enough to correct me. But part of this job for me is, because I love you, if I see you going sideways, I want to talk to you about it in love. And I'm hoping then as the new you, the cream of chicken you, that you'll still love me. But it's not easy because none of us likes to be corrected. But in our new selves, we, we want to open ourselves up to God, you know my life. Put around me people who will bring me back when I'm going off track. Because you love me and they love me. 
2. Be at peace among yourselves there, it says in uh, verse 13, right at the end. Verse 13b. Be at peace among yourselves. Live peaceably together with those around you in proximity, according to the Greek. Live peaceably together with those in proximity around you. You, your families at home, your, your, your co-workers, your, your extended family. God says live in peace. Is that easy? No. Are the people around us broken? Yes. Do they sometimes really, really irritate us? Yes. Do you sometimes irritate them? Probably. The old you, the beef broth, you and me, bristles at everything that irritates us. We lash out at those who irritate us and whom we disagree with, and we have issues with all the undesirable things that go on that we don't like. That's the old you. That's the you that's inside. That's the you that's hardwired to the old person that says, it's all about me, and when I don't see the things I want to see, I'm going to strike out. I'm going to confront. I'm going to lash out. I'm going to judge. I'm going to do all the things because this just is not right in my mind. God says, suck it up, buttercup. It's not about you. Because the new you says, sacrifice the things you think you need for the good of others, for the good of the whole. Have compassion and patience and mercy and grace for those who disagree with you or who are genuinely irritating. And they're out there. And you can be legitimately harmed. You can be legitimately taken advantage of. You can be legitimately wounded. We're going to talk about that one in a little bit later one. But to, in order to live in peace, you have to say, not peace at every cost, not, not, not just go along to get along, not, not just compromise so, so I can never be in a, in a confrontation. No, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, as far as it comes for you, sacrifice your own needs and wants for the good of the whole. That was Jesus' example when he died for you on the cross. Be at peace with one another. That's the new you. Sometimes we have to bite our tongue. Sometimes we have to just say, gosh, that wouldn't have been what I would have done, but mm, okay. Peace is important. Peace is important in your family. Peace is important in your life. Peace is important in your church. Again, it doesn't mean accept everything. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to look the other way when things are wrong. It just means what is your attitude? My attitude is, I want to I be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, said Jesus. I'm going to either be a peacetaker or I'm going to be a peacemaker. It's up to you. And you need to evaluate yourself. I need to evaluate myself on a constant basis. Am I... Carol, I've got to watch what I say here. Um, she will tell you I will irritate her on purpose. Because I'm in, a, I'm in a bad mood. You know, and, and just, so, I don't want to be that guy. I have to watch myself all the time. Am I, am I building peace in my life? Am I building peace in my core group of friends? Am I building peace in my church? Or am I a peace taker? Because that's cool these days. Be confrontational about everything. 
Next one. Again, I'm asking you to evaluate yourself and say, hey, maybe I need some help here, Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you this one, specifically in prayer. Admonish the idol. Bad. This is a bad um, translation. doesn't really mean the idol at all. The Greek says, warn the unruly. Warn those who are not the peacemakers. That's what it's really saying. Idol, I mean, there were some problems which he's going to talk about later in, in 2 Thessalonians. He's talked about earlier when people thought Jesus was coming back, and so they quit their jobs and sold their stuff, and they were just placing themselves uh, at the mercy of all the people around them. Say, you take care of me. Jesus is coming back. But this one is admonish the idol, which it's linked to this one because be an, a peacemaker, and then if you see people that are peacetakers, you need to talk to them about it. So he's telling them. You, as a group, if you see someone that is constantly causing issues in love, admonish them and say, you know what, for the good of the family and for your own good, you're not happy. You're not happy doing this, constantly stirring the pot, constantly finding something to criticize, constantly being negative. It's not good for you. It's not good for the people around you. Now, we're not, supposed to find, we're not supposed to be the unruly police and just, hey, hey, I think I don't really like what you said. I'm going to go confront you about it. No. Admonish in love. For the good of them, for the good of the whole church, for the good of your family. Next one. We urge you, brothers, let's see, number four, encourage the faint-hearted. Comfort the downcast in spirit. Comfort the downcast in spirit would be a good translation. Not just encourage, but in console and comfort the downcast in spirit. Now, A plus for you guys. I see it all the time. And, you know, when we are gutsy enough to share the things that are going on in our lives and some of the trials and tribulations, you guys are really good at coming alongside and providing encouragement. But it is something that because we're always busy, because our lives have some misery of their own most of the time, and because we're very entrenched in our own little world, if we don't think about it and intentionally do it, if there's some intent, I am literally praying that God will bring me someone downcast so that I can share the encouragement that he's given me in my life with them when they need it. Once again, you know, everyone has to evaluate their own life, but as a church, you guys are very good, and I'm so proud. I'm so blessed by it when I see it all the time, people coming alongside one another in times of difficulty, in times of discouragement, and encouraging those who are faint of heart or downcast in spirit. How many of you have ever been there? Okay. It doesn't mean you're sinning. It doesn't mean God hates you. It doesn't mean that, that God's angry with you because you, you're, you're, you're a Christian for crying out loud. I've done everything for you. You should just be up all the time. Unfortunately, life has other things in mind, and so there are times when, when we're down. You can see David do it in the Psalms. You can, talk, you can see throughout Scripture of, of, of Paul saying, we despaired even of life itself. We all get there. That's why God gives us one another. 
That's why he says, I'm putting you in a family so that when you're going through these tough times, someone who's not going through that maybe or someone who's gone through something similar and has sympathy and empathy for you can come alongside and encourage you when you need it because that is God with skin on. That's you. That's you coming alongside. God with skin on. God's feet and hands loving on people in a practical way when they need encouragement. And, and Paul's telling them, do that. That's part of the, the, part of the new you. The old you would say, ah, just be angry at others when they're broken. Ah, it's probably their fault anyway. And feel no sympathy. And probably it's just going to cost you a bunch of time and trouble anyway. So that would be the old selfish me. But the new one says, think of others before yourself. Encourage the brother who's stumbling or hurting and be aware of what's going on in the lives of those around you so that you can show compassion. Next one, help the weak. Support or come alongside those who are lacking emotional, spiritual, or moral strength. Help the weak. I had a, read a really good devotion this week about weakness and how down deep we hate it. We hate weakness in others most of the time because it reminds us of the weaknesses we have. And so we use weakness as, you know, I don't want to, how many, you know, the whole macho guy, you know, that's a thing when inside we're puddles of stuff on the floor. Nobody wants to show their weakness. But we all have weaknesses, and, and Paul is telling them, come alongside those, whether it's emotional weakness at the time, whether it's spiritual weakness. Maybe they just, maybe they're, they're faltering in their faith. Maybe they, life has just overwhelmed them and they have a weakness or maybe they have a weakness in their life as a, a, a besetting sin and, and they need someone to come alongside them and, and, and maybe confront a little bit and then help guide them towards uh, repentance and reconciliation with God for that. Help them. There are times when I feel strong in my faith. There are times when I feel strong in who I am and my identity, and, I, and I'm ready to help others, and sometimes I need help. Sometimes my, my, my faith is flagging and some really bad things have happened, and I need someone to come alongside. Once again, God with skin on, that's us. See, that's the kind of thing that, that in, in a community barbecue that people are out there saying, guess what? I'm living this isolated life and, and, and I'm struggling and I'm hurting and I'm broken and I'm afraid to say it because people will see my weakness and like a pack of dogs will jump on it and take advantage. And what I really need is genuine loving people who won't judge me and just come alongside and love me. That's what God is telling his family to be. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. <laughs> okay. If we're going to pick one, I stink. I stink in this one. Um, there's, a, there's a, we all have them. We all have their, our little, we all have our little um, imitation labels that, 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 you know, I can peel off the uh, beef broth and, and maybe it'll say cream of chicken, Christian, there's some, still some broth inside the can, right? I can put on that I'm, I, I'm, the, I'm a Christianly pastor guy, and yeah, I, I, I just love everyone, and I'm always kind, and I'm always patient. But then I have eyewitnesses. 
who will tell you that is not the case all the time. Um, have patience with all of them. Have patience. Be forbearing and long-suffering towards all men. What that is basically saying is, look, we know you're suffering. <laughs> we know other people can be trying. We know other people can get in your way. It isn't like sometimes you aren't legitimately being hurt here or, or inconvenienced. That's true. Be long-suffering. I go to the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? And I think, gosh, God, how can I even dare to be impatient with others when you're so patient with me? I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it again. I particularly hate waiting at stop, stoplights and standing in a grocery line. And I, I've probably told you the story. And I get up, right, I get up to a grocery line, and somebody in front of me, ah, I'm 65, I can tell old people jokes, you know. I, 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 get, I, I get behind the lady who is trying to pay, you know, out of her little coin purse. And first of all, it takes her quite a while to find it and everything. And, and, the, and I see the checkers, like, looking at me like, ah. You know, I'm so sorry, and you know, first of all, you know, she's going to try to write a check, and then that doesn't work, and you know, so you can tell the checker's looking at me, saying, "Okay, you know, this lady's really holding up the line," and, and in my flesh, why did I have to choose this line? <laughs> but, but then God will catch me, and I'll just kind of laugh, just kind of laugh. Yeah, okay, God, this is the patience test again, the one I fail so often. And I need to evaluate myself and say, God, you're so patient with me. If I could list all the times I did the same stupid sin over and over again, and God said, okay, I'm done with you, man. No, and he never does. So be patient with them all. And in the last, this is a, this is a hard one, this last one, um, don't repay anyone evil for evil, but evil for good. And our old way says, you know, tit for tat, man. Vengeance is mine, says the world. Payback in kind. You're going to do that to me? I'm doing this to you, buddy. Love your enemies? I hate my enemies. What I want for them is justice. I'd like some mercy and grace for myself. But for you, I hope you get what's coming to you. That's in the flesh. That's in the beef broth, you. Okay. The cream of chicken, you. It's supposed to look like Jesus. It says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Okay, God. Take it away. Don't belong to me anymore. I don't belong to me anymore. Since I belong to you, what they really did was harmed you, not me. And you'll take care of it. Because you're in control of everything. And I don't need to worry about it anymore. I can just walk away. Even though it was legit, even though, yeah, it hurt, even though I was wounded, even though I was taken advantage of, even though they took something from me, hurt me, whatever. And, and they did it out of spite. And, we, and it wasn't just an accident. They, they meant to be mean to me. Love your enemies, it says. Um, Romans 12 
17 through 20. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Be beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave wrath to God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And here's the hard one. Turn the other cheek. If he wants your cloak, give him your tunic too. On the contrary, it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I don't have time to get into what that might mean. Some people think, yeah, you know, if, if he's really mean to you and you're really nice, he'll feel really terrible about himself. And maybe that's what it means. I don't know. <clears throat> I used to have... I should say I got another time. Um, <clears throat> believe it or not... Um, I was pretty good at that tactic. I learned it in business, and, and, and so I had parked my, my car, or my truck, actually, my delivery truck, in front of somebody's door um, in the back of a business, and I pulled up and parked my truck, and they were coming out, and really, really, I blocked them in, really, really angry. I mean, really angry. So angry you think, hey, man, would your dog just die or something? Because this is like way beyond the reaction that would be normal for this. So he comes out screaming, yelling, calling me lots of things and expressing himself in four-letter words. <clears throat> and I had learned this tactic. So no credit to me, but because frankly, I, it was good. It was a good business practice. Oh, man. I can't believe I did that. I am so sorry. I, uh, I'll, I'll move that. I guarantee I'll move it right now. And that guy comes back later. He's like, hey, you know, here's some, here's some cookies and stuff. And can I take you out for a beer? And gosh, you know, it's, and his, his, his demeanor changed just like that. And all I had to do was just instead of responding with anger like he responded to me, which wasn't, I mean, it wasn't nice. It was, I wasn't trying to, trying to cause him harm, but... Um, that's what God wants us to do. And they even go further. It's like, hey, not only will I move your truck, but you need something delivered? I'll do it for free. <laughs> it's a hard one for us. Because the old us is like, uh-uh, uh-uh, buddy. Tit for tat. You find yourself doing that? Feeling, feeling justified doing that? You know, this whole love your enemy thing, as far as the world is concerned, that's insanity. It doesn't make any sense. What's in it for you? Nothing. Everything. That can be like Jesus. It doesn't seem like it's going to make sense from the outside. It doesn't seem like I get anything out of it. it doesn't seem like it does anything but just, hey, you were mean, and now I'm going to do nice stuff for you. Who's going to do nice stuff for me? God. So, this is a hard one. But evaluate yourself and see, where do I line up on this list? I don't need to know. But if there's something in here that you need to give to God, because, yeah, I understand it. The words are pretty simple. These principles show up in Scripture all the time. But sometimes we don't stop to do an evaluation and see, hey, you know, God's, God's in there, and he's trying to move us along this sanctification pathway And unlike your salvation, which you had nothing to do with, you participate in this one. In my, in my book, it's surrendering on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis, and then fleeing from your old self and putting it at the foot of the cross. If you don't, the sanctification process is going to take a long time. Okay.
think about it. Then come to me and tell me which ones you really stink at. And I'll pray for you. No, I'm just kidding. Because oh, I'm not telling you which ones. I, I already told you one I stunk at. But it is something, to, if you aren't thinking about it, if you aren't praying about it, if you aren't consciously giving those things to God, good luck with fixing it on your own. Okay, let's pray. Um, dear Lord, you are the God of our salvation, but you're also the God of our renewal. Thank you so much that you love me enough to save me and change me into cream of chicken soup. So, Lord, we just give you all the praise and all the glory for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.